0: People definitely need to be more self-starters. Uh, they need to you know, have a lot of self-discipline, which if you're going into an office every day, not that those characteristics aren't desirable anyway, but I think it's, it's more necessary if you are remote. You have to have that discipline. And I think people can learn that. I think some people are just more disciplined than others naturally but uh, I think it can be a learned behavior too, you know, and I think companies will have to coach them through that too, because not everybody's cut out to be a remote worker. Uh, But at this point, they, they have no choice. Connect, influence, optimize. You're listening to The Channel Channel, a podcast for executives and others involved in the authorized sale of electronic components. Brought to you by the ECIA, the Electronic Component Industry Association. Working to promote and improve the authorized distribution channel.
1: Welcome to the Channel Channel. This is David Loftus, CEO of ECIA and host of our session today. The Channel Channel is a podcast series sponsored by the Electronic Components Industry Association. Covering topics that are important for participants of the electronic supply chain. I'm very pleased to be joined today by Carla Mart, president of JJM Search, an electronics industry executive recruiting company. Welcome, Carla.
0: Thank you, good to be here. I appreciate the invite.
1: So the most valuable asset in any of our companies is our people, but they don't show up on the balance sheet. Uh, Carla actually began her career in sales and channel management roles with several electronics manufacturers and then transitioned into uh, executive search for the electronics industry. Uh, Carla has incidentally also made significant contributions to NITA, ECIA, and EDS. Uh, today we're going to discuss Carla's background a bit and then we'll chat about her transition and experiences in executive recruiting and helping staff our um, companies with the best and brightest in the industry. Carla, I guess first off, hope you and your family are doing well during these unique and challenging times.
0: We are. It's been an interesting year, I think, for us and for uh, for everyone. But uh, we've been healthy, and that's that's all you can ask for.
1: Wonderful. Uh, before we dig into the professional details, I guess any fun facts about yourself you'd like to share with our listeners?
0: Mm, fun facts. Um, I actually am a state uh, champion basketball player.
1: Oh, fantastic.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Mike if my boys are listening they'll be making fun of oh mom, why did you <laughs> that was so many years ago.
1: <laughs> but
0: no, I think sports is uh I think it's great for kids. Uh I think it's really good for girls. Uh and I think it teaches uh teaches girls so much about uh preparation, uh diligence and probably more importantly than anything is the confidence that it gives I think all all uh, participants, but in particular, sometimes I think girls and women uh, lack some of that confidence. So I think I think sports is a great avenue to uh, to help with that and help with their confidence.
1: That's fantastic. So I I guess turning to the professional details, you got your start with manufacturers like uh, Vichy and TE. Uh, can you give us just a mm-hmm. quick review of your industry background and your career?
0: Yeah, certainly. Uh, the majority of my career has been spent with the electronic component manufacturers. And in a lot of cases, they were on the IPE side of side the, of the business. Uh, right out of college, I worked for Vishay. I did not have an electronics background, but uh, business background, communications, MBA. Uh, so I learned a great deal the first seven years there. And ironically, they're one of my larger clients now, so I get to work with them uh, in a different capacity than I did initially, but uh, we moved to California. I worked for Raychem Corporation, really great corporation to work for. Uh, We were acquired by, at the time it was Tyco International, and which eventually became TE Connectivity, which today is now TE. So spent um, quite a few years with them as well, generally in global roles, global sales, uh, global channel management roles. So spent a very brief period of time at a distributor, and that was a real eye-opener because it it allowed me to kind of sit on the other side of the fence, so I managed distributors in the past, but now I was the distributor, so it really taught me, uh, you know, because I was working with multiple lines, it really taught me what a good manufacturer does with their channel, and I think it made me a better channel manager in the long run, too.
1: Fantastic. So, you know our industry very, very well. (laughs) Hopefully so, Yeah. (laughs) And uh, as I mentioned earlier, you've made great leadership contributions to our industry as well. For example, you are the only female to have ever held the role of president of EDS. How's that experience?
0: You know what? I was, uh, first of all, surprised that there hasn't been another woman in that seat in, I don't know what EDS has been around 60 some years. Uh, So it was really an honor and a privilege. Uh, the board is made up of, as you know, uh, representatives from the rep world, from manufacturers, and from distribution, and they're just genuine, uh, great industry people. So it gave me a chance to to work with them, and help lead them. At least I was actually on the board for about seven years, and president for one year. So it was it was just a fantastic experience and exposure to some really solid industry icons in a lot of cases. Um, Craig Conrad, for example, was the president that succeeded me from, uh, you probably know Craig from his TTI days and I think Avnet before that, maybe a semiconductor company. So um, it's kind of interesting. It's tradition that when a president's outgoing, they hand the gavel to the new president so I went out and bought a new gavel and painted it pink and gave it to Craig. <laughs> so I'm not sure where the pink gavel is today. Uh, maybe one of his grandkids or uh, who knows where that where that's floating around. But uh, so we had some fun with it, too.
1: That's super. Well, appreciate your contributions. And obviously, <laughs> we hope and pray that we're going to be in a position to hold a great EDS show again next May.
0: Yeah, I was just looking at those dates and I'm like, god, I hope we get to go to Vegas and see everybody again.
1: So. I, I agree. Hey, so great career on the manufacturing side. How did you make the transition to recruiting?
0: You know, it was surprisingly easy transition. Uh I ha- I've had people say, "Well, that's a huge step, you know, you move from a manufacturer into being a headhunter." And uh but really it's all about people uh sales roles channel roles it's about um, networking with people developing those relationships and the same is true in recruiting it's uh having relationships with my clients having relationships with candidates and really uh trying to understand the nuances of the position itself which being from the industry helps me a great deal because i i kind of have a good idea on what the position is before uh before I start recruiting for it, but also understanding the culture of the company, the culture of my client to try to find a match between a candidate and, and their ideal company. So it's really, it's really all about people. Uh, many of those skills were transferable from my prior roles in the industry, and I already had a great network of people to, to pull from and draw from. So um, it was a relatively easy transition.
1: That's super. So 2020 has probably been a bit of a roller coaster recruiting wise. Uh, can you share a few yeah, observations? Yeah.
0: I think everybody's 2020 has been a roller coaster. Um my uh, my first quarter uh was the best quarter that I've ever had in terms of uh cash in for the for 10 years that I've been recruiting. So I really was probably getting a little cocky thinking like, I'm killing it. <laughs> And then uh, St. Patty's Day rolls around, and the world pretty much stopped. So a lot of my clients are manufacturers that have factories all over the world. So they really just stopped and, and looked inwardly, you know, how do I keep my factories open? How do I keep my factory workers safe? Uh, so for about a quarter, there was very, very little activity in recruiting. Oh I did see a pickup in hiring and new new job searches really starting about uh, beginning to mid July. Uh it's certainly not pre COVID levels, but um, but but it's a positive sign and it's a positive trend. Uh unfortunately I've also seen at about that time more layoffs um and they many of them due to COVID. I think in a lot of cases my clients were kind of holding steady for a quarter and not not necessarily laying people off, just assessing what's going on, how long is this gonna last? And um, finally in July, I think some of them realized, hey, this is not a short-term deal, Uh, we need to restructure. I had a um, a client, and and he's also a candidate, which is interesting, he uh, made the comment about restructuring under the cloak of COVID. And he went on to explain that how he feels that some companies take that opportunity to do restructuring and call it COVID, but isn't necessarily directly related to COVID. It might be something they've been thinking about doing for a while and just finally pulled the trigger on it. So I think there's a fair amount of that that goes on too.
1: Sure. Yeah. I heard that comment back in the 2008 financial crisis as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, CEO, at the time had made the comment that uh y- y- you know don't ever waste a good uh tragedy <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, I guess so, and i think uh I think certainly companies are 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 taking action on that now but um but there is some hiring too, so our industry is aging and Many of the positions that I work on, especially the higher level positions, are really filling retirement. Uh, you know people who have retired or they're going to retire in six months so i've I've been keeping busy uh, just trying to replace uh, people who are drifting off into retirement
1: okay and for the companies that are hiring i guess it is great news that as you're saying that uh, that hiring has been picking up here over the last couple of months, uh, do you see that companies are looking for different qualities than they were a couple of years ago?
0: You know, I don't think most recent events with the pandemic has changed a whole lot uh, in terms of what companies look for. Um, Maybe, if anything, flexibility. Uh, Someone who is more open to change because it certainly changes. You you watch the news every day and there's a different uh, take on the pandemic and, and what's next uh going back a couple years you know i think um i think companies look for this, this pretty much the same qualities um other than you know being definitely you know compared to 10 years ago someone with more much more digital experience uh you know things that have just changed because technology's changed but i think core attributes uh like hard work um ethics integrity you know i i don't think that ever goes out of style and i don't think it, you know, it does not change with time. So I think um, pandemic or not, uh, those are qualities that will be desired for a long time.
1: Do you sense a change in candidates, though, with COVID? Certainly with so many people having the opportunity to spend the last six months at home, um, there's now more of a work-life balance appeal. Um Do you see that maybe people are finding it not so necessary to be the road warriors that they once were? And will the industry accept that? Uh,
0: Yes. And they'll have to, uh, in terms of industry acceptance. I I find today that candidates maybe more so than a year ago, even uh, are trying to achieve more life balance. And because they have been shuttered up at home uh, I think initially, a lot of people went a little bit stir crazy, especially if they're used to traveling and being on the road a lot. But I'm I'm talking to more and more people who really have seen sort of a silver lining in it. One candidate in particular has a teenage boy and a girl. And during this time, they took the opportunity, they created a company that helped people secure PPE. And um, so he had some, a lot of contacts in Asia. So him and his son and daughter basically started this company and have been running this company. And now long-term, I don't know how long it will be around, but here was a guy that has been VPs of sales for different companies and probably traveled 80 or 90% of the time. And I think he really reflected on that to say, "Yeah, I, will, I won't I will get this time back again. And he created a bond and a company with with his kids. So I think more and more people are realizing that. And I think the industry will have to accept that. And, and um, you know, some jobs definitely have to be on the road. I mean, when there's a lot of customer interface that requires, you know, a little more face-to-face exposure. Um, but I I think that many jobs, it will just change dramatically in terms of the amount of travel uh, that they have to do. And honestly, companies, that will save companies money. You know, you think about all the travel expenses, uh, meals and entertainment, um, airline, you know, air travel, I I think that the companies can see some real savings in that as well, and that we're doing more creative ways or more creative things to to keep the business flowing.
1: I I fully agree, and I've certainly heard many of our member companies make the comment that it will never go back 100% to the way it was pre-COVID. I guess I'm sort of a salty dog, old salty dog in the, the business here. And uh, I was one of those road warriors for many, many years. Mm-hmm. I guess, do you see a difference between uh younger generation, the millennials, and uh, say some of the more uh, mature people in the industry and, and how they handle this type of topic?
0: Yeah, you know, I hate to stereotype, but I'm, go- I'm going to. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think the the those of us that have been in this in the industry longer have come to just in the past anyway accept the fact that you need to you need to travel, you need to be on the road. You potentially are going to miss some things at home, and I I think the younger generation maybe has a better perspective on it than those of us that have been in, in the industry a while and that um, they put them first, you know and and their their demands there's a lot of characteristics about millennials that we don't need to get in here today, but I think that they um I think they do have a bit of a different perspective, and maybe now uh all ages are are going to be forced into that same perspective because of our inability to to travel
1: yeah, does that impact what companies? Are looking for? Do they look for a different type of individual because of remote working than say that they would have a couple years ago?
0: Well, I, th- I think uh, people definitely need to be more self-starters. Uh, they need to, you know, have a lot of self-discipline. Which, if you're going into an office every day, not that those characteristics aren't desirable anyway, but I think it's it's more necessary if you are remote. You have to have that discipline. And I think people can learn that. I think some people are just more disciplined than others naturally, but uh, I think it can be a learned behavior too, you know, and I think companies will have to coach them through that too, because not Mm -hmm. everybody's cut out to be a remote worker, uh, but at this point they they have no choice. So I think companies will have to help coach them as well.
1: Sure. Yeah. They don't have the structure that they Mm -hmm. do in an office environment. I guess, in the long term, how do you think that remote working will affect the industry?
0: You know, certain industries will just go away, period, because you can't work. You can't be a waitress and work remotely. It just doesn't uh, lend itself to that. So I think certainly some industries will dry up and and go away. uh, Certain jobs will go away. I think in electronics, uh, so much of it does lend itself to remote access, and we've got you know just the technology that we've got today uh be it zoom calls or um just the the types of electronics that we're how we can communicate um i i see the industry changing somewhat certainly things like commercial real estate will have to change big time i mean i i don't see big offices with desks in them uh in the long run I, especially when they can do it so much cheaper uh remotely so I think there'll be certain aspects of the industry that changes, but uh, electronics is pretty resilient and um, I, I think it will, there'll will be changes, but, uh, but we'll emerge uh, you know, uh, just fine at, at the end.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, so not only have we had uh, the COVID wrinkle here the last six months, but it's been really a volatile decade for electronics, a uh, tremendous amount of consolidation as the industry has matured and organic growth has slowed. uh, How have you seen that trend impacting people?
0: Well, certainly when there are uh, consolidations, you don't need two global channel managers. You don't necessarily need two VPs of sales. So there's redundancies with that. In my line of work, that can be beneficial because there's good people who are the odd man out or odd woman out. So a lot of times I'll get those phone calls And they're now available to work somewhere else. So I think I see a silver lining in it from my perspective, but certainly there are less of some of those prime jobs out there. And a lot of this too is due to the pandemic. I think that people take a look at and kind of they have time to reflect and reevaluate do they want to stay in whatever industry that they're in? And maybe it's the time to go back to school or maybe it's the time to shift shift gears shift industries and i think that is at all ages you know not not just the older workers not just millennials but i think everybody in between it's it's a time to reflect on gee is this really the position that i want to stay in or the industry i want to stay in so i think there'll be some changes due to that as well
1: yeah i i understand on a few of our past podcasts, we've talked a lot with Women Electronics and others about the need for diversity and inclusion in our industry. Do you see a greater push in your recruiting efforts for diversity from clients?
0: You know, I don't see as much of a push for diversity and inclusion as I'd like to see. There's a lot of talk around it and I think that's the way to get it started. But sometimes what I see is like let's take a given job i've just just completed a director of quality position for a manufacturer so they want someone that has an engineering degree that has about 10 to 15 years of quality lean experience someone who's managed people you take all of those requirements and then you look at the pool of applicants that have those qualities and sometimes there's just not a lot of diversity in that pool and it, you know i think that starts a long time ago when they decided to go into engineering or not go into engineering so i think sometimes there's not a a pool of uh, a diverse pool to pull pull from sometimes it might be location Um, that job in particular uh, is in a fairly remote location and not a lot of diversity in the community either so uh, i think there's certainly challenges with it Um, groups like we women in electronics certainly goes a long way in promoting women in the industry. And I think honestly, it's, it's the confidence that that network gives the other women in the group. I think that's a, a big, big plus of that organization as well.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. I, and you are personally invested in improving the pool as well. You, you you're involved in volunteering, especially trying to bring more people into STEM roles. Can you share yeah, a little you know, bit about that?
0: You know, I think, um, there's a biblical saying um, that talks about much will be expected from the ones who have been given much. And I feel like I've really been blessed in many ways. And I think it's important to give back to the community, whether that's your Lions Club, whether it's a charity that you're a part of or donate to, um, or encouraging more um, more STEM students to to enter the electronics industry. So I try to take advantage of situations uh, where, one, where they'll listen to me <laughs> and, you know, spend some time, you know, really mentoring. Uh, I did a panel for ECIA. Um, I predate you at ECIA, I think it was two, three years ago, on millennials. And we had so much fun with that panel. We had um, four millennials from the industry uh, two, two ladies, two guys, and we really had a nice bond. We, we met in advance, and you know, many calls in advance, and still to this day, I still stay in touch with. I call them my millennials, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but we, you know, I think we learned a lot from each other. So I, I do that. I, um, I I speak occasionally at ASU's uh, Polytechnic Institute in uh, the Phoenix area. So I just think there's a lot of opportunities people can can give back. I'm a a mentor uh, for WE in this coming session. I did some mentoring at TE. So some of the larger companies have bigger mentor programs and more formal ones, but I don't think it always has to be formal. Um, Sometimes you just connect with someone, and um, I really always feel as a mentor that I learn as much as the mentee does in that dialogue and, and, you know, building that relationship
1: we've all still got a lot to learn about this industry don't we
0: yes
1: (laughs) well super carla great to have you on our show today thanks so much for your insights for our listeners thanks for the service to our industry and beyond as well
0: i appreciate thanks for the opportunity to talk today
1: absolutely well that's a wrap for today i hope you'll all join us for our next channel channel interview Thanks so much for your time today to join the podcast and we hope all of you and your families are staying safe.